Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers is a Christian apologetics ministry led by Dr. Pat Zucran. Pat provides compelling messages from top apologetics scholars defending the Christian worldview and provides valuable resources for every person seeking answers to life's questions, as well as addressing key issues of our time. Serving to equip Christians who want to effectively engage their world for Christ is our focus. Does archaeology confirm the historical accuracy of the New Testament? What evidences are there? Can we trust the experts? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, our host, Pat, will be sharing from his weekly YouTube show, Question of the Week, where he presents some of the most significant archaeological discoveries that confirm the historical reliability of the New Testament. Now, here's Pat. Aloha, and welcome to another episode of Question of the Week brought to you by Evidence and Answers and our great partners at the Honolulu Christian Church. You're looking for a great church to grow and connect at. Uh, encourage you to check out the Honolulu Christian Church. Well, we've been doing uh, past few shows on the Bible. How do we know the Bible is the uniquely inspired Word of God? And of course, we've gone through several lines of evidence. Jesus' affirmation of the Bible the indestructibility of the Bible, the unity despite the great diversity and authorship of the Bible, the legacy of prophecy, and we've been doing archaeology. Last week we did Old Testament archaeology, and so this week we're going to look at New Testament archaeology. Now, there have been hundreds of discoveries, thousands actually, that confirm the historical reliability of the Old and New Testament. And a lot of discoveries have affirmed that the New Testament is historically accurate. In fact, there is so much convincing archaeological discoveries for the accuracy of the New Testament. The tide is beginning to swing and people are now affirming that this is a historically reliable document. Now, there's thousands of discoveries we could go through, but I'll just give you a few in just the short time that we have together. One of the ways you know that a testimony of a historian is accurate is you look at the evidence and when you see time and time again that historical evidence confirms the historical account presented here you know you've got a historically reliable document and that's what we're finding with the New Testament for example just the Gospel of Luke Luke is found to be a very accurate historian as I mentioned in the historical reliability of the Gospels, and some of these discoveries will overlap here. Luke names 32 countries, 54 cities, 9 islands without error. And he's even accurate on details like the title of government officials, first man of the island, Tetrarch, and others. When a person is that accurate on even things like these detailed titles of government officials, you know you've got a very accurate historical account. Now here's some of the most famous archaeological discoveries connected with the New Testament. In John 5, Jesus heals a man at the pool of Bethesda. Now the reason this is kind of unique is that John describes it there in chapter 5 as having five porticos. That's very unique. There's really no other pool like it there in Israel and in the city of Jerusalem. And this site had been long been disputed until recently. Then in the northeast quarter of the old town of Jerusalem, 40 feet underground, archaeologists discovered a pool 
with five porticles. And the description and the surrounding area matches that of John chapter 5. And you can go there to this day. Uh, we have been there on our Israel tour, a very famous, very popular site. And you can go down those stairs and see those pools and see the five porticles as described in the Gospel of John. Another pool is the Pool of Siloam. Now in John chapter 9 verse 7, Jesus heals a lame man there at the Pool of Siloam. And this had been a long disputed site in the city of Jerusalem there. If you remember the account from John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man by spitting in the ground, then making mud and rubbing it on the man's eyes. And then he tells the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Well, we weren't exactly sure where this pool was, but then in 2004, while construction workers were working on sewage lines uh, at the mouth of Hezekiah's tunnels, engineers came across several steps, about 20 steps, at a pool located there at the end of Hezekiah's tunnel. And archaeologists, of course, went there, and from the pottery and the coins they discovered that this was steps and a pool that we can date back to Jesus' time and even before. And through all the discoveries that they have made, they have confirmed now in 2005, a year after the discovery, that this was indeed the Pool of Siloam, the very pool where the healing of the blind man took place in John chapter 9. Then we have what's called the Temple Warning Inscriptions. Here's another one, the New Testament and the Jewish historian Josephus. Remember I talked about him earlier. He's a first century Jewish historian who recorded history for the Roman Empire. And they both describe the Jerusalem Temple. And they describe that there were two courts there in the Jerusalem Temple. One court for the Gentiles, the outer court, and then the inner court was one for the Jews. That was the description given in Josephus and in the New Testament. Well, an engraved block of limestone was discovered there in Jerusalem in 1871. It was about 22 inches high and about 33 inches long. And it read this. It said, No foreigners is to go beyond the balustrade of the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death which will follow. So this was the plaque that was on the entrance between the court of the Gentiles and the inner court where only the Jews could go. That matches the description given to us in the New Testament and with Josephus that there were indeed two courts and that can explain in the book of Acts why the Jews were so infuriated with Paul when they thought Paul brought one of his disciples into the inner court where only Jews were allowed. It started a riot. And that also explains passages like Ephesians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 in which Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And so this plaque here, the temple warning inscription, might be the very sign that Jesus saw in his day and the apostles as they went to the temple. So now we're going to move from locations or archaeological sites to people now. Remember, as I stated, over 100,000 discoveries confirm people, places, and events of the Bible. And now we're going to be talking about some of the people that are mentioned 
in the New Testament. And some of these you may not know. They're minor characters, but I'm going to explain to you why it's significant that even minor characters here, we have found archaeological confirmation of these people who are mentioned just a few times in the New Testament. Now, one of the great discoveries is called the Sergius Paulus Inscription. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, on their missionary trip to the island of Cyprus, met a government official named Sergius Paulus, who had the title of Proconsul of the Island. And in Acts chapter 13, verses 6 through 7, we read this. We read, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. And we read later on in verse 12 that Sergius Paulus eventually put his faith in Jesus Christ. Well, in 1877, a Greek inscription was discovered at Soloi on the northeast coast of Cyprus, which mentions a proconsul named Paulus. And this inscription, dated to the middle of the first century, is currently housed now in the Cyprus Museum. And it reads this, Apollinius, to his father, consecrated this enclosure and monument according to his family wishes, having filled the offices of the clerk, the market, prefect, town clerk, high priest, having been in charge as manager of the records office, erected on the 25th of this month in the 13th year of the reign of Claudius, the emperor. He also altered the Senate by means of assessors during the time of the proconsul Paulus and archaeologists affirm that this Paulus is the one mentioned by Paul in Acts chapter 13. But we also have another inscription on a boundary stone from Rome. There on this boundary stone, Lucius Sergius Paulus is named as one of the curators of the Tiber River under the emperor Claudius. So archaeologists affirm this is the same Sergius Paulus mentioned in the previous inscription and mentioned in Acts chapter 13. And this inscription is dated to the early first century as well, about 47 AD. So this would match the time period of Paul and the apostles. And then there's another inscription at Pisidian Antioch. And the name is listed there as L. Sergius Paulus as one of the commissioners in charge of Roman streets. That's what a proconsul did. He was in charge of building projects and helping to manage certain cities in the Roman Empire. And so we have confirmation of this character from Acts chapter 13, Sergius Paulus. Then we have another inscription called the Erastus inscription. And Erastus is mentioned in Acts chapter 19, verse 22, and in Romans chapter 16, verse 23. Erastus, Paul names as a fellow co-worker, and he is mentioned as being the Corinthian city treasurer. Well, archaeologists excavating in the city of Corinth near the theater in 1928 discovered a plaque that was two feet in height and seven and a half feet wide. And the inscription reads this, it says, Erastus, in return for his aedalship, aedalship is an elected official that's in charge of key building projects for the city. It says, Erastus, in return for his aedalship, laid the pavement at his own expense. And that's what these men were who were titled aedalship. They were wealthy men who were appointed by government officials to oversee projects. And apparently he was very wealthy and he could 
finance this paving project. Paul mentions that he was wealthy and that he was the city treasurer. And this inscription is dated to about 50 AD. So many think this pavement was laid right around there about 50 AD. So the designation of treasurer describes the work of what a Corinthian Adel would do. And so archaeologists connect the Erastus inscription, this man too, the one Paul mentions in Acts 19 and Romans 16. Then we have a more popular figure you might recognize, Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the chief priest who sentenced Christ to death. And in 1990, a team building a water park, they hit a what looked like a royal cemetery and they discovered an ossuary, right? If you remember, an ossuary is a stone box that contained the bones of the deceased. They would lay the person out on a stone bench and after the soft tissue eroded away, they would collect the bones and put it in an ossuary. And this was a well-decorated ossuary, so this was a very important individual. And it, this ossuary contained the bones of a 60-year-old man. And Josephus tells us that the full name of Caiaphas was Joseph Caiaphas. So whoever this was is a very wealthy man who died, or very important man who died in the first century. And on the, this very beautifully decorated ossuary, there's the inscription, Joseph, son of Caiaphas. And archaeologists connect this find directly to Caiaphas, the head priest who sentenced Jesus to death. Then we have something called the Gallio Inscription. In Acts chapter 18, Paul was brought before the Roman proconsul named Gallio when he was in the city of Corinth. And Roman records tell us that a proconsul served for one year. And the Roman inscription found there in the 20th century, discovered at Delphi near the temple of Apollo in Greece, records that of the date of Gallio's service, which was 51 to 52 AD. And Claudius writes of receiving advice on the subject from a proconsul named Gallio here in this inscription. The Roman senator dismissed the charge brought by the Jews against a guy named Paul there in the book of Acts. So this date is so firmly established, it's become one of the linchpins for working out dates for the rest of New Testament chronology. So here is another archaeological discovery confirming another person mentioned in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. Then here's another one, Pontius Pilate. If you remember Pontius Pilate, he was the governor who was in charge over the trial of Jesus and ultimately sentenced Jesus to crucifixion. And as mentioned in the Gospels, we have found evidence of a historical Pontius Pilate. In 1961, in northern Israel, up there in Caesarea Maritima. Uh, Italian archaeologists were digging up near the Roman theater. Great archaeological discovery there, but a great ancient architectural design, a fabulous theater. And there was discovered the Pontius Pilate plaque, written in Latin. We could still read the words. It read, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, has dedicated to the temple of Caesarea, a temple in honor of Tiberius. All right, some of those words were missing, but we think that's what it read. There we have historical evidence of a Pontius Pilate who ruled over Judea during the time of the Emperor Tiberius, as recorded in the Gospels. Now, that's not the only discovery of Pilate that has been made. Recently, we've made another great discovery of Pontius Pilate. It's the Pontius Pilate ring. In November of 2018, archaeologists were digging at Herod's tomb 
at one of his fortress palaces, a man-made mountain that became one of his fortress palaces called the Herodium. And at the Herodium, they discovered a ring, 2018. Well, actually, this ring was discovered in 1969, but they were not able to read the inscription on the ring until now, right? Until 2018 with the new technology and photography that's able to be done. And with extensive cleaning, they discovered that the ring had a Greek inscription on there bearing the name of Pontius Pilate. And we know that Pilate made extensive use of the fortresses, fortress palaces of Herod the Great. And so it's very likely Pontius Pilate was here at the Herodium. So archaeologists agree either this ring was worn by Pontius Pilate himself or it was worn by one of his very high-ranking officials here. So there we have another historical evidence of Pontius Pilate. And on a side note, at the Herodium in 2007, archaeologists discovered the coffin of Herod the Great. Yes, coffin, not an ossuary, a coffin. He was buried in Roman fashion. And they discovered that the coffin had been shattered to pieces, so they had to put it back together like a jigsaw puzzle. But the reason it was shattered to pieces is because, remember, the Jews did not like Herod. And so perhaps vandals found the coffin of King Herod and broke it to pieces. But it's there at the Herodium, about three miles from Bethlehem, six miles south from Jerusalem, a man-made mountain fortress by King Herod. His coffin was discovered in there. Well, those are some of the exciting discoveries made in archaeology. Now, to sum it all up here then, what is the significance of all of these discoveries? Well, archaeology confirms that the Bible is a historically accurate document. One of the uniquenesses of Christianity is that it claims to be a historical faith. It talks about historical people and real-life historical events that occurred. And therefore, we should then have historical evidence for the Bible. And as archaeology has shown, there are thousands thousands of discoveries that affirm people, places, and events of the Bible, which shows you what we have here is a historical document, but not only a historical document, a historically accurate, trustworthy historical document. And that's what you would expect of a book that claims to be divinely inspired of God. If something is divinely inspired, God is the God of truth. It's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to be mistaken. That's what you would expect from a book that claims to be his word. And that's what archaeology is confirming about the Bible. Second, many of the characters I mentioned, for example, Erastus, Sergius Paulus, Gallio, they're minor characters in the New Testament. They're only mentioned one or a few times there in the New Testament. And this is significant. This is the reason why uh, I mentioned even some of these minor characters. You might have been saying to yourself, why is he talking about these guys? I mean, these are just minor characters here. Well, this is the reason it's important. Those in the forensic sciences, those of us in historical sciences, those of you who are legal experts, many of you lawyers know that when a witness gets minor details accurate, then you can trust that witness when it comes to the major facts of the story, all right? I mean, if you have a witness on a stand and he can point out minor details and be accurate, you know, he can say, you know, I saw this accident and this car, the left blinker wasn't working. And in fact, there was a crack on the front headlight and a crack on the rear 
lights as well. And he was turning left as the light was turning yellow, and there was a red car that went by him first, and then the car he ran into was a Toyota Corolla. You know, and this Toyota Corolla actually had a dent on the driver's side. I mean, if he's talking about details like that, and you're discovering that he is right, even on some of these minor fine details, well then you know you have a trustworthy witness and you can pretty much trust what he's saying about the major event and people he is talking about when he's getting these minor fine details right on target. That's what we have in the New Testament. You see the New Testament writers were accurate even on these fine or even minor details. When I'm talking about these minor characters, Erastus, Sergius Paulus, and others, and the Bible nails it right, even on these minor figures here, then you know you've got a very accurate historical document. You know you have testimony that is very reliable, and therefore it's reasonable that you can trust the testimony of this witness or this historical document on the major events and people as well if they're getting these fine and minor details right on the dot and so we can conclude that the historical evidence and archaeology demonstrates that the Bible can be trusted right so that's what archaeology confirms well we got a time for maybe one or two questions here here's one Pat how do other books like the Quran and the Book of Mormon and Hindu works compare great question well when it comes to the Quran we have very little archaeological evidence that supports the Quran. The events of the life of Muhammad are, have rarely been verified. I mean, Mecca is supposed to be a major metropolis. In fact, the oldest city in the entire world, according to the Quran. According to the Quran, when Adam and Eve fell from heaven, they ended up in Mecca. So Mecca should be the oldest city in the entire world. There should be archaeological discoveries all over the place in Mecca. Well, when you go there, you don't really find any ancient historical evidence affirming the Quran. In fact, it's a very modern city. The whole city is modernized. In fact, ancient places where supposedly, you know, Muhammad lived and areas like that have been cemented over, built over. You don't see that in, in things like Jerusalem, all right, and other, the Battle of Bader and Uhud and others, very little, if any, archaeology affirming all of that. The Book of Mormon says there were cities, you know, the caliber of Egypt and Babylon, covering South America and North America. Well, you don't see any maps in the Book of Mormon, do you? And if you look hard, you don't see a Mormon archaeology department there, Brigham Young and others. Uh, when it comes to the Hindu works, uh, for example, the Bhagavad Gita and many others, well, many know that this occurred in the mythical realm here. There's really no attempt to make a historical case or present historical evidence for these events. So Christianity is uniquely a historical faith built on real people real events and real places, many of which we have discovered. Over 100,000 archaeological discoveries, according to Dr. Randall Price, confirm people, places, and events written of in the Bible. Okay? And that's quite unique, that you've got a work with such spiritual significance, such ancient history, with so much archaeological confirmation. We can reasonably conclude what we have here is a work of integrity, a work that is historically reliable, an account which we can therefore reasonably trust. And it tells us of the incredible acts of God, the story of God, from the creation of the world, to the fall of mankind, to the rescue and salvation of mankind, 
and how things are going to unravel at the end of the age. It's a historical account which presents the truth of the Word of God acting throughout history and it's a book that can tell us how we can have a personal relationship with God. It's the greatest book ever written. There's no other book like it in the history of the world. It is indeed the greatest book ever written inspired the uniquely inspired Word of God. Well, I want to thank you for joining us and I encourage you to send your questions to pat at evidenceandanswers.org and go to our website there at evidenceandanswers.org if you want to read more about the things that I have discussed and you can listen to podcasts and interviews with some of the top biblical archaeologists uh, from all over the world on these exciting biblical discoveries we continue to make. So thank you for being with us. Look forward to seeing you again here on Question of the Week. run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners, for the opportunity to donate. Once again, we'll direct you to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at HonoluluChristian.org. That's HonoluluChristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Zucran.